So I have a quote for you from uh, the uh, General Conference President of the <laughs> Seventh-day Adventist I Church. I think I know where this is going. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Savvy Sit Down, a place of free-thinking Seventh-day Adventist discussion. I'm your host, Jed Frias, and our Bible thought of today is taken from Isaiah 41, verse 13, and it reads, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. That is one of the favorite Bible verses of our guest for today, Ryan Jarvis. Ryan Jarvis went to school at Crawford Adventist Academy during his elementary and high school years and in university attended Andrews University. He is the former youth choir leader and the youth leader of the Bramley Seventh-day Adventist Church. And while attending Andrews University, he was a part of student government, he was a student chaplain, the music director, and a worship leader. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the show. What's up, Fritz? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, Can you please explain why that's one of your favorite Bible verses? Yes. Yes, I can. For me, I find that I cling to different Bible verses at different times of my life. So right now, I feel like I'm in a place of limbo. So I just try and cling to the thought that no matter what I'm trying to do, that God will always be there to help me through the situation, whether I'm aiming to get a job or aiming to complete a task. It's it's more doable and helpful when God's there to help me. Yeah, that's a really comforting thing to yeah, know. exactly. Ryan, can you please share with our listeners a bit about your religious background? I grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist. And for those who are listening to Kuya Sheldon's episode number one, I would consider myself, the way I was born to the religion, a cultural Adventist for most of my life. I grew up in the church, but unlike Kuya Sheldon, I didn't have that crazy point in my life where I'm like, oh, I fell away from the church, at least the religion to that extent, and then I did some blah, 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 and I came back. For me, I think it was more a sense of... uh, I was complacent in the religion. I just kind of did things as my parents told me to do. I think for the most part, I was was a good kid, but I just followed the religion on the basis of this is what you're supposed to do, or this is what the Ten Commandments says. So this is why you have to do this, 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 and this. It wasn't until the 12th year of schooling, high school, my last year, or the junior year, junior year, I took religion with one of my favorite religion teachers, Mr. Boyce, who's actually still at Crawford right now. And he did something that kind of turned my life around and made me see the SDA religion as more of a relationship. So what he did was he made us rewrite the Ten Commandments in the form of love. So what he was saying was that during the Exodus time period, God had to speak to the Israelites in a more commanding and more authoritative way because they just came out of slavery. That's why there's this big debate that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is different, even though they're not. But he just knew how to talk to the people at that time in the way that they would receive um, instruction and love the best. So that is why it's so like commanding, do do not, thou shalt not. So what he made us do is he appropriated it 
for our 21st century lifestyle and the real message of the gospel in love. So we rewrote each of the Ten Commandments in love. And in fact, he actually tested us on it for our final exam. And when I did that, I came to the realization that God isn't here for religion. He's here for relationship. And that is the main focus or should be the main focus of the Adventist church. So once I did that, I started viewing everything I did as a relationship with God. And so it was the last few years of high school and especially starting at the college, I started to strengthen my relationship with God more. And I stopped doing things because the Ten Commandments said so or because I was told to do so. But I started seeing the validity and the meaning behind each Ten Commandment, why each one is there um, to protect us, why each of it is there for love, etc. And that is kind of how I changed my life around post doing that exercise. Can you, yeah. can you give an example of rewriting a commandment in the form of love instead? Let's take the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So a lot of the times it's said in a way that, oh, you have to keep the Sabbath like this. But instead, an example would be spend time with me because I love spending time with you. Right? So it makes it more of a relationship rather than, hey, you have to do this. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I guess, would you say that that experience was kind of like your testimony, the turning point of being a cultural Adventist, uh, a true Christian Adventist? I'd say so. Yeah. Okay. So I know you never actually attended uh, public school, but uh, how would you assume uh, public education is different from Christian education? It's different because... At public schools, not everyone is Adventist. Growing up, everyone, everyone around me was of the Adventist faith. And I don't think that that makes people better than another. So if you go to an Adventist school or a Christian school, it doesn't make you better than someone who went to a public school. I think it just really focuses and hones in on where your ministry is. Whether your ministry is to be a light to other Adventists and you guys grow in that community and in that area, or whether you're supposed to be a light to people of different faiths or people that don't have faith at all. It just really depends on on your financial situation and where your values are, but it doesn't make you any less or any better than anyone else because of the fact that I think God calls us to different, different ministries. Uh, and to get back to your question, what makes it different? I believe that public schools have more resources, I feel. A lot of people are under the assumption that because SDA church school is a private system, that they have all the resources and they have all the activities. But that's not necessarily true because of the fact that it is funded mostly by the pocket of the parent and the Ontario Conference. Some of the resources are limited, but we make do with what we have. I do believe, though, that we get more attention because there's less students. For every teacher, they'll probably have mm, 10 to 15 students per classroom. So that way we have the ability to learn more one-on-one with our teachers. Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of the teachers that are at Adventist school systems are there because they care. 
I can tell you that the salary at an Adventist school system is not one to be coveted. I will tell you that. <laughs> so <laughs> I know that my teachers there legitimately care for my education and are passionate for the students that are there. Okay. Yeah. So I know、um, many thought of many parents is that, for example, they want to have their child attend Christian education because of certain reasons like. Uh, they'll be shielded from stuff like premarital sex or、uh, drugs and stuff like that.、Um, would you say that that is accurately achieved by sending、uh, their kids to <laughs> Adventist school?、Um, I believe that all the temptations of public school are present in Adventist systems, whether or not. That is advertised. I believe it is at a lesser dosage because the families and the students that are enrolled there genuinely and generally, sorry, have the same values. But you can't really shield yourself from it. I think it's the responsibility of the parents and、um, the person to kind of ground themselves in their beliefs. So, yes, I've seen drugs. There is premarital sex, there's sexual abuse even at Adventist systems. And it's not something that I believe we should be hiding. It's something that We should be openly saying, hey, this is present here and we're here to work on it, just like everyone else. So it doesn't necessarily shield you. I will say maybe it's at a smaller dosage because there's not due to the fact that we are better, but because of the fact that there's less people there,、mm-hmm. right? Simply due to,、uh, to population. But yeah, the challenges that you try and avoid at public school will also be present at Adventist schools. It's still very present and very much there. Okay. I'm a bit curious. Can you compare and contrast your high school and university experiences for me? Because I know,、uh, like, for example, it was a Canadian high school and a universe, American university. So, like, how are they different? How are they similar, kind of thing? Okay. So, there, there are many、uh, aspects to this question. So, before we get into the, the different country part, let's, let's get into the high school versus college. High school, I was still living in the shadow of who I was growing up. Because when you go to an Adventist school, the people that you're with in SK, senior kindergarten, junior kindergarten, or just plain kindergarten for the Americans listening, are the same people that you are with all the way till grade 12. They know who you were and they know the person that you are becoming. So you don't necessarily get the chance. To reset. So, I did a bunch of cool stuff in, in, in high school. I was able to do、um, band, I was able to do、um, student government, and I was able to develop my skills there. But everyone there knows how you develop. So, you, nothing's really a surprise. You don't really get to change or project the person you want to be, if that makes sense.、Um, when I got to University, it was an exciting experience for me because most of the people there, aside from the, the couple friends that I brought from Crawford, had no idea who I was. So you have the chance to start new. You have the chance to develop in ways and areas that you never got the chance to before because everyone knew who you were. So I feel like that was the main difference in high school and college. Like you said, in college, I was able to try a whole bunch of new stuff. I did.、Um, Student government, but at a,、uh, a higher level. A higher level, but it was a very fun time comparatively to high school. 
I was able to also do worship leading in the Adventist system, which is not the most common thing, especially in Ontario. I was able to manage a recording studio. Due to the way I developed in high school, I was able to utilize that even more so in college because of the fact that I had new opportunities and I had new ways to express myself because of the fact that no one around me knew who I was or knew who I grew up to be. And uh, American versus Canadian is a whole different story. Going to Andrews was really cool because of the fact that I believe now it is the number one most diverse school in the US, I think paired with Rutgers. So I met people from all over the world, all over the world, all over the US. And that was really awesome because you get to integrate yourself with different cultures. You get to integrate yourself with people of different religions versus the few hundred people I knew who I also knew growing up. Also, the melting pot of America is different from the melting pot of Canada. Racial prejudice is much stronger in the States than it ever was in Canada. I had no idea, literally no idea. I literally walked into Andrews and I'm like, wow, I did not realize how bad and how unjustly black people were treated in America versus here, I just, I kind of grew up with them and I'm half black myself. I never really thought too much about it. It's just, yeah, it, it's crazy, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, well, uh, let's move on to another subject that you're really passionate about. Anyone who knows you knows that you're really passionate about music. Yes, yes, this so is let, true. Let's talk about that. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, let's start off with something that's controversial in the Seventh-day Adventist <laughs> Church. Can you explain what is the controversy surrounding drums in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? The controversy surrounding drums. Okay, so how, where do I even begin here? Why is there even a controversy? So the problem with drums, I would say, is that it's this big preference battle, right? Between probably the older generation and our generation. So people will say that drums are unacceptable in church. They'll just flat out say, hey, God doesn't bless us because uh, they're drums. It's not appropriate for the church setting. I've heard things like, um, it's, it's used to call spirits and just like a whole bunch of stuff. So, but point blank, drums aren't supposed to be in church. That's, that's the controversy, right? And then we have young adults and youth who say, hey, but this is, this is my talent. This is, this is, this is what I've learned, right? Why can't I use it in church? And they, in a lot of Christian music today involves drums. So it's just this ongoing battle between no drums versus drums. People like to quote Ellen White on this. There's a book called Selected Messages, written by Ellen White. However, it was past her death that it was published. Some friends put together some selected messages, right? And please, 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 I beg, anyone who's listening, whenever you read Ellen White, I believe Ellen White is, is, a, is a woman of God. She definitely is. And I believe that she's cherished in the Adventist church for good reason. But please, please, I beg, please read her in context. Don't just take one sentence and match it together and say, this is what she said. So Selected Messages is actually a compilation, right? And this is where a lot of people quote the no drums thing. And it says, it talks about, I won't, I won't say it verbatim, but she's talking about a camp meeting, how it's one of the elders writes to her saying, oh, I was at this camp meeting and there was this bedlam of noise and it had the drum, bass drum, the organ, flute, oboe, and all these instruments. So people like 
to quote that specific thing about no drums in church, which doesn't make any sense to me because beside big bass drum, there's also organ, which no one seems to complain about. But that aside, she responds to it saying, yeah, near the end of time, we'll see this, this very action is not pleasing to God. If you read that more in context and you read other books by Ellen White and other compilations, you'll realize what she's talking about is something called the Holy Flesh Movement, right? And the Holy Flesh Movement is a time period where just not the whole Adventist church, where at a camp meeting, they would basically sing and they would shout until someone fainted, right? And when they woke up from that faint, they would say that this person has gone through like a garden experience where they're now holy, right? And it doesn't make sense because we are saved by righteousness and by grace, not by by doing that. So that is what she is talking about specifically in that quote that people so famously use against it. Because Ellen White actually talks about the importance of music a lot. She says, praise the Lord with cymbal, praise the Lord with timbrel. And she talks about how powerful music can be. And even in the Bible, after they crossed the Jordan, the Jordan, sorry, the Red Sea, Miriam was praising God with her tambourine. So I'm sure it comes down to preference, right? And I don't think it's fair for, for people to say, hey, drums are not, are not supposed to be used in worship. I do believe, though, that there are times when drums aren't supposed to be used in worship. And that is when the congregation as a whole is distracted by it. Because the point of worship is to bring yourself closer to God. It's to sing praises to God and, and to connect with Him more. And at my church, and a lot of churches at the, uh, in the GTA that are not of black descent, that's not how they connect with God. And that's perfectly okay. So for me to come and bring a whole drum set and decide to play it, I think would be distracting for that particular congregation, right? And I think that would be unacceptable because that would distract them from their worship. But if I go to a different church, right? And that local church praises God with a drum set, and that's how they're close to God, that's how they feel the dynamics of a song, and that's how they're reminded of God's love for them as they sing throughout the service, then that's not wrong. So it really depends on how you connect with God. At my church, I don't think I should bring a drum set. At a different church, I think it's perfectly acceptable. I think the problem is when we decide to tell other people your form of worship is wrong, but mine is correct. So that's where we get into the problem. So I think we just all need to take a step back and say, hey, these are my preferences and these are your preferences. God has created us differently, but yet equally. So we have the ability to enjoy worship and to praise our master and our creator in different ways. Awesome. Case closed. I'm sure no one will have a different opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just kidding. But um, if someone has a different opinion, feel free to share that on the comments. Yeah, I'd I'd love to chat. Um, but in general, so my follow-up question is, in general, how, how can we know what is appropriate music to sing and listen to in church? Let everything you do be worship, right? That is something that I like to live by, right? So we don't necessarily box worship to just the Saturday or just when we are in church, right? So I believe that the music that connects us to God or allows us to tell our testimony as to what God has done for us should be acceptable in church. I don't think we should limit it to 
what exactly mentions the word God. But we also have to keep in consideration the the cultural aspect of our church. So just because something connects with me, and I, I know might be distracting to the other members of my church, I wouldn't do that because we also try not to be a stumbling block. It's a really fine line that you want to walk on. I think a good example is You Raise Me Up by Josh Rogan. That song was not necessarily meant to be a Christian song, right? But it's a song that I think a lot of people, especially in the Filipino church, they sing that for special music. And no one really bats an eye about it because of the fact it has a similar musical progression to a more Christian song, right? I think that song tells more of a testimony. Although it was not necessarily written for God, someone can tell their testimony and how God has brought them out of their situation by a secular song such as You Raise Me Up versus a hymn, which everyone conglomerately agrees, hey, this is about God, and this reminds me of God and his love for me. And that was written directly in purposes of praising God, the songs in our hymnal. So I think we need to stop looking at things in a sense of what song is secular, what song is Christian, but what glorifies God in this particular setting. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, cool. Cool, cool. What are the different roles of the different aspects that are within music. For example, like what role does the beat have? What role do the lyrics have? And what role does the expression have? For example, singing versus rap versus, for example, screamo music. Mm -hmm. Like um, how can we like determine what is appropriate based on these various roles? Let's look at it like this. Let's let's start from the beat. So the beat, if you want to take it from a music theory point of view, the beat is to keep you in time. Whether that be a drum or the percussive nature of the piano itself, the beat is to make sure that you stay in time. As a congregation, I think it's important to, to give our best to God, right? So I think things sound better when you're in time. Hence why people write music to have measures to it, to have um, a beat to it, so that we know collectively when to sing. I think the lyrical portion of music is how we connect and how we express ourselves, like how we're feeling specifically, whether that I'm t- talking to you right now or whether I'm singing to you lyrics, that is how you understand the message I'm trying to convey. So in a church setting, the lyrics that I'm telling you or singing to you is how I'm feeling about my God or how I'm feeling about how he has brought me out of a situation or how he has loved me. And uh, what's the last one again? Last one is? Uh, the expression. The expression. For example, singing or rap or screamo. Singing, <laughs> rapping, or screamo. I think that expression allows you to communicate in ways that talking does not allow you to. So in a similar way to lyrics, expression allows you to attach a little bit more emotion to it. And I believe that it varies per church. You also need to be aware of what could be a stumbling block. So I personally don't mind singing, rapping. I think screamo might be a personal distraction for me, but I'm not to say that that's wrong for anyone else, right? Because there are Christian screamo bands and some people connect that way, right? But I'm not one to say, hey, you shouldn't be able to listen to that. At my church, I think I would have to draw the line at singing, right? At more contemporary churches, poetry, rap, right, is, is how people can express themselves because the lyrics are just the base of it. We can communicate with lyrics but you attach an emotion to it when you attach an avenue of how to do so via the expression. 
Okay. Um, so I have a quote for you from uh, the uh, General Conference president of the <laughs> Seventh-day Adventist I Church. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> uh, Ted Wilson, he wrote, uh, The praise and worship movement featuring contemporary Christian music with its rock-style bands and swaying musicians has taken on the task of ushering worshipers into the presence of God. This type of music emphasizes feelings and focuses more on the performers rather than congregational singing. With all due respect to the president of, um, of the General Conference, I think that's a really, really big assumption. At some points, the songs that are currently in our hymnal were contemporary. A lot of them are bar tunes that they rewrote to be Christian songs. And if you listen to or sing I Cannot Tell, which is a famous hymn in the essay hymnal, that is written to the tune of Danny Boy. So I don't think it's fair to say, hey, this new type of music with its new type of chord progressions and different instrument uses are inappropriate because at some point the songs that were in the hymnal were also contemporary. It just depends on how you use the song. It depends on how you direct the lyrics and the message to praise and worship about God. It's not a tool that is evil. It's how you use it. Also, additionally, I've never seen more singing in my life than at a non-denominational church or at a Pentecostal church or at a Baptist church. They genuinely love singing and they love the messages that are in the song. I'm sorry to say this, but like when I'm when I'm at Adventist churches, right during praise and worship time, at least the more conservative ones, like if you take a beautiful hymn, hymns are, are amazing, by the way. I don't dislike hymns more than uh, contemporary praise and worship. I think they're beautiful. That was just a side note. But if you take a beautiful hymns such as "It Is Well with My Soul," and you go to an older conservative church, and you watch them sing it, just like turn around and like watch the congregation sing it. It's so dry. Like, you look at them, they're not, not even smiling on their faces. Like, do you even believe the message that you are singing, the lyrics that you are repeating? Yeah, versus when you go to a non-denominational church, like, say, Elevation Church, they genuinely love what they're singing. And I've seen more congregation participation in those churches than our very own, unfortunately. So I really think that's a big assumption. Yes, there are definitely Adventist churches that love to sing, but I don't think it's fair to say this rock style music focuses on the band more than, more than the congregation. Because I've seen congregations that genuinely love to worship. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when you yourself are the praise and worship leader yeah. during song service, what role do you take on? Like, um, are you trying to get the congregation to sing along? Or are you just trying to perform? Um, or are you setting a mood? I think it depends on the circumstance. But generally, the goal of a praise and worship leader in today's context is very similar to that of a chorister. So my purpose is to be able to create an atmosphere that allows people to feel comfortable to praise God in the form of singing, because that is the way that we connect very heavily to our master and to our creator. And there are other times when I will try and, and set a mood because let's say we are doing baptism 
there's a certain solemnness and a certain happiness that is attached to going under the water and coming out again. So there will be times where I will play music that reflects that, right? Because you want to be able to reflect the emotions that are going on that, in that room. Baptism is, is a happy time, right? So I'm not going to be playing nothing or I'm not going to be playing um, sad music because it's time that we need to rejoice that another child has been saved. Okay, so let's talk about secular music for a second. Okay. Um, are there different criteria when comparing secular and religious music in terms of like, like listening criteria? Ah, uh, okay. Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So that's kind of what I like to refer to. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier how I don't necessarily um, like to categorize things into secular versus Christian music. If you take a look at the book of Psalms or Proverbs, if they were written out today, people would call it secular music. But I don't think that it is. I just think you need to know when to sing what and where to sing certain things. For example, if I write a love song to my girlfriend, Emma, I don't think that that's wrong. Like, I don't think that's, 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 that's good, right? Would I use that on Sabbath? Not necessarily, because of the fact that on Sabbath is my time with God to connect more with God. So I would prefer to sing a love song to him. So it just really depends on what really cultivates your character, what makes you focus on good, right, and noble things. A big theme in modern music today is love, and I think that's beautiful. I think God created love, and he made us to be emotional people, emotional human beings, people that feel. So for us to write about that, like David wrote, like Solomon wrote, I think is a very holy thing. Everything has its time, and everything has its place. So if I'm on a date with God on Saturday, I'm gonna be talking and communicating things how I feel about him, versus a song that John Mayer wrote or a song that John Mendes wrote, because my time is supposed to be for him. But I think as long as the theme is promotes good things like love, fun, I don't think that it's, it's problematic. You need to know yourself and you need to know what is of good subject matter to listen to and to grow as a human being in. So I wanna follow that up with, so applying the roles that we were talking about earlier, like okay. beat, lyrics, expression, that kind of thing. Okay. So like if a, I know you don't like distinguishing much between religious and secular music, but just for question's sake, yeah. for if there is like a secular song where um, the lyrics aren't the most appropriate based on not necessarily profanity, but like the message, like a lot, like you're talking about love music, mm -hmm. but sometimes love music uh, it might be like sexual in nature kind of thing. Like, is that appropriate music to be listening to? Um, probably not, right? If you're at a place where it's like, hey, this is not something that I promote, especially myself, then it's probably not something that you should be listening to or surrounding yourself with. Okay. So I think what I'm understanding from you is like, you can't just make a clear distinction between this type of secular music is acceptable versus this type or like this genre or this, like you really have to see each song based, yeah. individual song based on the message. Yeah. And exactly. You need to, you need to take a look at the substance. I can't box rock or box hip hop 
to be bad. I can't box hop to be bad. It really depends on each individual person and what God speaks to them about their personal Christian growth. So for some people, secular music is distracting for them. And that's perfectly okay, right? That's perfectly fine. I'm not saying everyone needs to listen to quote-unquote secular music. But if you as an individual are distracted in your personal walk with God, with secular music, then it's not for you. But at the same time, it's not for you to judge the person across the street for listening to secular music. Everyone has a different walk with God, and everyone has different distractions in their mind. Uh, just to throw it back, there are days, actually, that I can't listen to gospel music on a Friday night. And when I, uh, when I, when I, when I say gospel music, I don't mean um, Christian music as a whole, but like gospel music that has a nice band or has a nice um, arrangement to it. Because I'm, as a musician, I can really appreciate the articulation and the planning that people put into to praise God. And sometimes I focus more on that than the beat of the song than actually praising my father. So I'll switch to something more solemn. It's not something I do every day. It's not something that I stop myself from doing every week. But there's some days when I'm like, hey, I need to, I'm over-focusing on the music than the actual message. So there are days I'll, I'll switch to something more solemn. And that's, that's me as a, as a worship leader, right? So it really depends on yourself. So there, there are some days that even Christian music is not something that uh, directs me to God at that moment because I'm focusing on the wrong aspects of it, right? So it really, it really depends. It depends on your relationship with God and what he specifically calls you or tells you like, hey, this is distracting you from me. Awesome. I think that's a good way to finish off this music portion <laughs> of the interview. Okay. Uh, let's move on to more general church-related questions. Okay. So uh, what would you say are some strengths of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Okay, so some of the strengths of our religion are our core values, right? I think we have the message down very well. Who God is, who the Trinity is, the purpose that God came down to save us. We have those core values very well. Even the Sabbath, as to the day that God asks us to spend time with Him. We have that down very well. And at least in my local church and here in Ontario, I think we're good at hospitality. I think we're really, really strong at that. Those, I think, are our main strong suits as, as, as a Seventh-day Adventist church, at least here in Ontario and in the Michigan conference where I've been. Okay, so uh, what about the opposite? Where would you say the church needs improving? I think our church puts a big emphasis on preferences. We like to do things a certain way, and we like to tell other people that we need to do things our way. I feel like that's why a lot of things that make news, unfortunately, is not how we impact the community. It's, it's not how we spread the love of God, but it's it's a church politics. Church politics is, is just really, really big between, like we were talking about this whole time, music, women's ordination. People like to say, hey, this, this is how the church needs to be run. And then they'll back things up and say, biblically, blah, 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 blah. But... I feel like we're missing the big, the point of it. We're so focused on the religious aspect of Seventh-day Adventism that we're forgetting the relational aspect, right? And that is what other churches like non-doms are succeeding. We have the right core values. We have the right message, but it's the delivery that we're really flaking on. I think that's, that's our biggest problem. Teddy Roosevelt says, nobody cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. 
So we have a habit of introducing the rules of the religion before we introduce the love of the religion, right? Why do we love God? Why does he love us? And we introduce new converts to the do's and don'ts, which will at some point get old. So I think we need to focus on primarily pushing the love of God and how he loves us and how we can make a relationship with him versus the, here are the 10 things that you shouldn't do, dot, 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 dot. No pork, no earrings, blah, 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 blah. It just, it makes things more political and controversial than it really has to be. Okay, so that might tie into my follow-up question, but why do you think young people are leaving the church? <sighs> I think we talked a little bit about this um, the other day when, uh, when we were building James' um, <laughs> uh, Ikea stuff. But I think, especially here in Ontario, I think that our generation was taught the rules aspect, like I was saying earlier. Here are the things that you shouldn't do. Here are the things that you should do. And I think our parents' generation is much different than ours. They do exactly what their parents were told them to do. Respect from parent to child is different than the respect. No, I'm not saying that our generation is disrespectful, but we like to ask a lot of questions, right? And if you do something for so long, just because you're supposed to, sometimes conveying the reasoning behind something may get lost in that. So I think that we aren't taught the relationship aspect of Christianity. We're taught the do's and the don'ts. And if you don't have a reason for doing something, like I didn't until high school, things can get old, right? You need a purpose and you need a reason for going to church on Saturday, for making the connections with people, for abstaining yourself um, until marriage, for not lying. There's, you need to be taught or you need to be told that, hey, this, this is, this, we're doing this because we love God and we're doing this because he loves us and there's a relationship involved. So I feel like we really, really, really missed out on that mark, at least here in Ontario, from just what I feel. Also, like we were talking earlier, church politics. It can get kind of annoying to a point where like, hey, this isn't for me, right? Even myself, I'm not in the SDA faith because, because I love exactly what we're doing each and every day towards progressing it. But I'm here still because I think it's necessary, right? Because I love Jesus so much and because I love our core values, I think it's necessary to work on it so that hopefully one day, even maybe when we're older, that the falling generation gets it, right? I think additionally, people don't feel love. People don't feel treasured. The older generation is more focused on whether or not we are following the rules than whether how we feel and how our relationship with God is. As long as they see us in the pews every week, they don't need to ask questions. But as soon as we're gone, then they ask us, hey, why aren't you in church? I think the care and the love needs to start before we leave the pew, not after. We don't like to do the motions. We like to have reasoning and we like to have purpose behind each and every action we do. And if the church doesn't give us that, then we'll go elsewhere for it. And if we're being honest, there's some people who, who just straight up don't like it. That's not something you can always avoid. avoid. Yeah, exactly. There will always be the people that's like, hey, this isn't for me, period. And that's the choice that, um, that they make. So it's at that point, up to that point where you just work on your relationship with them individually. Yeah. Okay, well put. 
What is something that you yourself have difficulty believing or agreeing with in Christianity or Adventism? I have a difficulty believing in the process in which we allow women to be ordained, especially this last vote. I really strongly believe that it should be up to the local church, right? Because everyone has different needs. Everyone has different ways to minister. And if at one side of the world, you don't want to do that, that's, that's perfectly fine. But I don't think it's fair to put the, the uniformity of religion above the gospel. So I do believe that women can and should be ordained. And if they feel called to do so in their ministry and in places where they are accepted, I don't think they should be stopped. And if in a different culture, that's, that's not a thing, that's perfectly okay. I believe Jesus created culture and he respects cultures in various ways. So I'm, I'm for women's ordination and I really hope that one day that we get to a point where not only women can be ordained, but churches are allowed to make decisions on a local level instead of being micromanaged from a higher standpoint, because that's where the gospel really, really is spread from the local church to its surrounding um, divisions, opposed to one head organization. So what is your hope for the church? What do you want the church to look like in the future? I hope and pray that the older generation and our generation collaborates more. It becomes less of a my way versus your way, and becomes more of a, hey, what can we do together to make something good, to spread the gospel? I also hope that the youth that have left the church come back realizing that, hey, it's, it's bigger than us. And I hope that the youth who are still in the church, that they make programs and they make ministries that are for our generation. Because sometimes I feel like Yes, we do like to complain. We like to, com- we, we like to complain like, hey, the church isn't doing this, the church isn't doing that. But what are we doing for the church, right? Things like Sevi Sit Down, I think is important because this, this is how our generation listens. This is how our generation connects, right? So to be able to make ministries that reaches our generation and the people in this century, I think is important. So I hope that we become less complacent and we begin to take more action in the things that we don't like about the church. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan, so much for your time. Before I let you go, do you have any plug-in shout-outs or Goodreads that you'd like to recommend? Goodreads? I I really like the book To Be Told by Dan Allender. Allender? Dan Allender, yes. I think it's a cool book because, at least for me, I'm at a place where I'm trying to figure out what exactly God wants me to do. But this book introduces you to the concept that you get to co-write your future with God. I know a lot of millennials think, oh, what am I supposed to do? They're kind of stuck, right? And then I think sometimes we're, we're, we're stuck in a place where we're like, okay, well, we'll wait for God to tell us what to do. But this book allows us to be open to the idea that we can write our story with God. So the sh- shout out would be uh, Tatiana Nixon for putting me on that book. Shout out to her. Other people I'd like to shout out is uh, Lamar Hall, Taylor Bartram, Kayla Deem, and Jonathan Dominique for uh, teaching me worship music stuff. And I feel like it's why I'm so passionate about this uh, subject today. And uh, Mr. Boyce, I think I mentioned him earlier in the podcast for um, making me rewrite the Ten Commandments in love. And uh, Jed Fritz 
for making Sevi sit down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ryan, so much. And My thank pleasure. Thank you for your time.